Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast, product marketers, and compete pros looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by none other than Jessica Davis, the Competitive Intelligence Manager at HubSpot. Be angling to get Jessica on for a minute now, and I'm so, so stoked we did because she shared a ton plays, strategies, frameworks that you could be using today to create better content for your sellers so that they can win more deals. And she does it all in 25 minutes. Jessica's awesome. She gets into how she structures, builds her battle cards. Also, how she prioritizes building content for competitors because when you work at HubSpot, you've got hundreds of competitors, different sizes, different threat levels. So she shares her framework for how she prioritizes what are the biggest threats and what gets the most effort and what collateral gets made for said competitors, especially looking into like how much are they really impacting pipeline? That's a real determinant for it. She also shares a little bit around how they structure their battle cards, which is very unique to what I've seen other compete pros do. And it's all rooted in this concept of thinking like a rep. Jessica was a seller turned compete pro and sometimes those folks that have lived in the shoes of sellers know how to produce the best content possible for them. Jessica is no exception to this. And last of all, something that compete pros are always curious about, she shares some of the metrics she's reporting up to her executives to show the impact of her compete program. Also some of the important metrics that they need to be looking at just to inform their business. And again, all things are tied to revenue now more than ever before. Can't wait for you to listen to this episode. And if you love what you hear from Jessica, well, I've got more good news for you because she is speaking at our annual event, Compete Week on November 8th. Jessica's going to be sharing a ton of frameworks that she uses to build battle cards for sellers. So go check that out. Ton of other content from Compete Pros. CROs and CMOs, they're all focused on gaining a competitive advantage before, during, and after the deal closes. Can't wait to share the full lineup. You can check out the speakers below in the show notes and registration's already open. So what are you waiting for? Save your seat, check out what Jessica has to say, and a host of other big names in the space. With that all said, let's get into today's conversation with Jessica. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this chat. I'm I'm very excited too. We've talked a couple times offline. We've been jamming on a bunch of different things you're doing in the compete world. One thing you're doing very, very well is building content that sellers love and use to win deals. And as we like to do in the podcast every time, we open with three tactical tips. And today, I want three tips on creating highly adopted sales content. Yeah, so I would say the first tip I have is don't make reps do any extra steps. So uh, what we try to do is think like, are we giving reps what they need in the format they need it? Um, Are we making them convert anything into a talking point? So like, is this ready-made something that a, a rep can read and immediately say? Or are they going to have to do some like mental gymnastics in their head? So that's tip one is give reps the content they need in the format they need it. Um, Number two, I would say make sure that all of your talking points are proof um, or like a a competitive proof 
has data and statistics to back it up if possible. Like a review, a quote, a number. It just makes everything so much more powerful when you say like we are better than X competitor because and then you have numbers to back it up. That is incredibly powerful. Now, it's hard to get that you know, data to back everything up. But if you can do it, it just amplifies your content uh, a ton. And then the third one I would say is no matter how good your content is, if you're not making sure that it gets into the hands and that people are using it, um, it doesn't matter. Like if you're not shouting to the rooftops, like here's my content, use my content, putting it in front of reps as much as you can, uh, it doesn't matter how good it is because they're not going not using it they're not going to win deals with it so so you're you're you have really high adoption rates for your content right now over at hubspot what are some of the ways you are promoting then um so i would say we have tried like a bunch of different things we try to be really creative um with our promotions we are making sure that our competitive newsletter whenever we talk about a competitor now we are linking the battle card at the bottom of that news story story or like a analysis. We are constantly um, monitoring Slack channels, multiple Slack channels, not just our own for competitive keywords. And then when the uh, keyword comes up, we get involved in that thread or that conversation, like their questions and say, hey, have you checked out the battle card? Um, link the clue battle card in Slack. Uh, another way we do it is all... Um, reps that have been at HubSpot for less than 12 months automatically get emailed uh, a battle card when they input in HubSpot in our CRM the competitor field for a deal. So if they say like we're competing against X competitor, then we send them the battle card automatically for X. So that automation is super key to making sure that they get the content when they need it and they don't have to go looking for it. And that when you're when you're working at a company like HubSpot, I'm not sure how many employees you have right now, but for a leaner compete team, like it sounds to me this automation is kind of the key or like the unlock to scale too, because you're not gonna be able to be answering every single thread or keeping your eye manually on pushing everything to every new rep on your team, right? Yeah, yeah. I think like it it definitely helps us scale. Um I mean, and I know like when I worked in sales, you want to focus on selling and you want to, you don't want to do admin work as much as possible. Like I was the worst salesperson ever at inputting things into my CRM. <laughs> like the, all of that stuff, like I was constantly, marketing was constantly like giving me sheets, competitive sheets and like use this. And I was, I was so bad at, <laughs> at it. So I think like just looking back to when I was in sales, just being like, okay, how can I make this as easy as possible? Like put it in front of them as often as possible. I don't want them to have to search for it. I don't want them to look for it. It's just like right in their inbox. Um, that's like my ideal world is like like a little, I wish I could have like a little AI assistant would follow around our reps and just anytime they say a competitor's name, it like hands them the battle card. <laughs> just AI? Yeah. Just AI on your shoulder yeah, in just a deal? AI. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I want to hear now. If I I didn't know you had a background as a seller yourself, and I think speaking with folks in compete, actually having that background in sales. I mean, our own compete manager Brandon tra transitioned from AE to to compete. I think there is a level of empathy and understanding of the role 
that allows you to partner with them better than, not better, but you have a better understanding to how to work with a seller. From your, from your time as a salesperson to now transitioning to compete, what was, could you, do you remember like a moment as a salesperson where you were getting competitive content or any kind of enablement content and what didn't land and how do you've kind of parlayed that into your role now as the person enabling sellers? Yeah, I think um, often companies make marketing content and enablement content for their like the least common denominator at their company, like their like company persona, I think. Um, so at the company I worked at, they were making like marketing material for like, like as if they were talking to an engineer, but it was supposed to be for like an interior designer and architect. <laughs> Which is like not so I I was like you like this is our like we need more pictures, you know, like we need more. And I think like that's something that I've noticed too at every company I've been at is you people create content for like the number one persona almost at their company a lot of times. Like it's hard. It's really hard to like put yourself in that those shoes. And I think like we got feedback once on a battle hard. I was like, this language is too markety. And it was like, oh, it's like an arrow to my heart. I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't I I I hate that feedback because it just makes me I'm like, I know that's that feeling as like a rep, as like a sales rep. So um, so just trying to think like and you know, HubSpot is a primarily a marketing company. So it's uh I felt like maybe we were like a little bit guilty of that. So I think just really putting yourself in like the rep shoes and thinking like, okay, what do they need as a sales rep, not as like a marketer, not as someone in product, not an engineer, like what really is important to them? This is, this is interesting because I mean, myself, I'm in marketing too. And we always talk about getting caught in the marketing bubble at times. Like you, there's a lot of things you can, should, would do that can start to separate yourself from the buyer. And then before you know it, you're coming out with marketing language because you've just, just this force of um, to-do list pushes you further and further from a buyer, whereas a seller, every single day, they're with the buyer. And I think that's where yeah. that big disconnect occurs, right? What, um, and so what, what I'm hearing from you is, one, understand what the reps want, what the reps need, how they work, but also what about this buyer side? How do you stay close to the buyer and understand what content's gonna help close a deal with a buyer too? Yeah, so that's actually been a huge focus of our team this year. Um, we've really been focusing on refreshing our buyer enablement content through our comparison web pages. Um, and then we're also putting together PDFs that are buyer facing um, that either sales reps can like hand to a buyer that summarizes the competitive differences or they can download on the website. So um, the number one thing is obviously like talking to sales all the time and seeing like what questions they're getting from buyers, looking at gong and doing analysis of like gong calls and then using um, win loss programs. Uh, like we use double check um, through clue through the, the partnership with clue. So um, those interviews are like gold mines. I mean, it's just amazing what you get out of those interviews, the, the talking points, customers are just like, 
so much more willing to <laughs> share with like a third party, even though they're like connected to, um, you know, HubSpot, they're willing to share a ton. And I think just taking all of that and also just like most of us have evaluated like software before, for example, like in our industry, like I've bought software before I've evaluated vendors and just thinking like, well, what did I want when I evaluated vendors? Like you don't really want a huge song and dance. Like you just want to know what the difference is between the software and then someone to like help you make the right decision, I guess. I'm, I want to double click on this win loss part a little bit. So that's interesting using win loss to get closer to the buyer and what they're actually saying, what they're actually thinking. You're not relying on what the rep said happened in the deal or picking up sporadic stuff from call notes and things like that. What about in terms of taking these win loss interviews and turning that into enablement material? Like how, how are you kind of tackling that piece right now? Yeah, so I think like the number one thing is thinking about how we can break down those interviews for, as competitive proof. So like which parts of our battle card can we take little bite-sized pieces? Because like you're not going to hand those to sales and just like or like link them to a battle card and just be like read this win-loss interview. Like that is not the right way to use that content. Um, I think if you want to- Sellers don't want to read a whole interview? No, <laughs> no. I'm sorry to say no. Um, no, they, they want like snippets. So I think just like, and not giving them like 17 snippets, giving them like, and this is something I think my team and I need to be better at. It's like, sometimes we have so much proof, competitive proof that we're like, here's all the proof. And it's like, maybe we need to give you like the five best pieces of proof. Um, but I think that's one way is just like putting it where the sellers need it when they need it. And that may be making a one-stop shop on the battle card is great. The other thing that I think, um, we don't talk about a lot is how you can use those interviews to enable strategic decisions. So, um, having like an executive readout, uh, of learnings and thinking like, okay, we can use this for enablement content, but then like what strategic decisions and actions are we going to take based on these interviews? And I think that's really where you get your money's worth um, for those programs. Definitely. It's there's from the win loss side, there's stuff that you can uncover from an enablement side of things, which is like there's these disparate pieces that if you put in the right order, you'll be able to close a deal. But then what you're saying there as well is there could be insights coming from those win-loss calls where you have to really just change the playing field entirely or there's something completely different we need to be um, like a pivot or something like there's a leaky funnel in terms of one of our processes like it's a it's a not just hey let's line these things up and our sellers will be able to knock down every deal there's structural things that you might need to change based on what comes from those calls yeah yeah and I think like um what we've learned in the past, like since I've been at HubSpot, sometimes you do those types of interviews or like in the past we've done like a competitive NPS and you have this like, like you talked about drinking the Kool-Aid, you kind of have this perception of internally like how you're viewed in the market and how people view your competitors. And then customers will say something where you're like, this is interesting, <laughs> you know, like like this is not what I would I would think. Or you think that a competitor is like a major threat and then the customer says some things that you're like, okay, maybe they're not the 
biggest threat. Like maybe there's another competitor that I need to worry about. Um, I just think it it just helps you like stop looking at it from your company's lens as much and really just taking a step back. And yeah, it's a, it's a great practice to have to, to do those types of programs. I want to get back to some of the kind of compete content side of things, how you've been able to manage such high adoption rates. One of the big pieces we hear or one of the big pieces when I've talked to folks in Compete is how do I keep my content fresh? Because if they're not fresh, if it's not up to date, if it's not reliable, you've lost credibility. Jessica, as a, as a seller, can vouch for this statement. Um, so what are you doing in terms of keeping content fresh, up to date, and reliable for your reps? Yeah, so like we, um, a few years ago, we had a big problem where like, at HubSpot, we have so many competitors. We compete in different segments. We have a lot of different products. So we have like a lot of competitors um, that we need to keep track of. And it's hard to prioritize them. It's hard to keep all that content up to date. So like you make content for all of them. Then it's like you have too much content and it's hard to keep up to date. So we had a problem a few years ago where we had like content for all the key competitors, but it was it got really out of date because we didn't have the resources to um, update it. And then when you have that issue, you lose trust, right? Because reps are going to look at your content and they're like, well, this isn't up to date. This isn't correct. And then they just probably never look at a battle card again, to be honest. They're just like, this is useless. I'm done. This is a waste of my time. Um, so I think like it became a trust issue for us. So that our number one thing was just like, kind of doing like a relaunch of the program to fix that but once we did do a relaunch we created a very like rigid system to keep our content up to date so we have tiers we tier our competitors in multiple like five tiers um by how often we see like deals against them um how like similar they are to our market focus industry product etc and then also like are they emerging threat are they are we seeing like a huge increase of of a threat of them in the market um tier one and two competitors we update every quarter um and then the rest we update every six months and we do like battle card updates comparison page updates like we kind of like have our copy like all aligned and linked on all of those and we update the copy accordingly. We have like a whole system with checklists of like what we update and check. And we are like very sensitive to that now. <laughs> so um, I think just like having a process and then also communicating that process, like being like, mm -hmm. this is how often we update things. So people know like if it's sort of out of date right now, it's not gonna be out of date for long. Um, so that's worked for us so far. I think so on that on that prioritization side if I hear you there's like the number of deals they're appearing in the is it is are you is it win rate is it size of deal like what is that sort of tiering matrix I suppose for these five buckets we generally do like the percentage of deals because mm. it's more like it's not necessarily about like the amount of money um necessarily I think for us it's just like how much how often are reps having conversations about this competitor and i think looking at from that because the the point is to one enable them to win deals and then obviously we're trying to make the company money but 
But at the same point, we're trying to like make it easier for reps to have those conversations, even if it's like not the best deal for them to be involved in, because then they can like turn that deal around faster. So really just like enabling those faster conversations and not having them get like slowed down in a deal that isn't like the best fit because they can't find competitive talking points. So you're saying almost to like disqualify too then? Like, yeah. is that what you're saying in that piece? Yeah, I think, so one thing we're, we're experimenting with right now is also um, providing content that tells um, sellers if it is a good fit, the deal and the customer are a good fit competitive, like compared to the competitor in certain situations. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And is this because I've, um, this is, this is a little plug for our upcoming compete week, but, um, in preparation for, I've been talking with a lot of CROs and revenue leaders, and there's this big piece right now, especially where it comes to competitive to CROs aren't just focused on net new business. It's not just about back in the day where it was growth, 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 net new business, sign logos, sign logos. It's are they going to be a successful customer? Are they going to churn in six months? Did, did the cost of acquisition, did they even survive a year and we've just burnt money bringing in a logo that's fallen out the back end? Is that why, from a compete standpoint, you're trying to figure out the best fits? So it's not just, hey, just try to win every deal and here's some talking points, but you're going to end up feeling that in the back end in maybe a year, six months, a year's time? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I like that perspective because I think you need to think of a customer as like a long-term investment and you're like investing in their growth and they're investing in your product and it's like a partnership. And you think about like if if you invest a lot of CS resources in like that customer and helping them grow and then they turn around and churn, um, like that's not good for anyone. And you've wasted those resources focusing on that, that basically like it's not as good as an investment. So really just helping sales understand like who are the right customers. And I think a really good indication of that is like what competitors they're looking at. Because then you can understand like the like you can understand like the size of the company, the size of the the solution they're looking at, the niche, like the um the features that they're most interested in. Uh I think it can tell a lot about a customer more so than like just looking at the data about that company. That's really interesting. I love this because I think it's more increasingly so, especially in this market where churn and retention is a priority for pretty much every single company, especially in B2B right now, that Compete can have that holistic lens of pre to post sales and how that impacts revenue. Like again, sellers are focused on bringing in customers in the door and not to say that they're just shoveling in bad clients, but their focus is to hit a target, but it does require someone, teams and leaders to be looking at the bigger picture as well to make sure that your your reps are being efficient with their time, that they're not just chasing bad, bad use cases or bad fits that they'll end up losing or bring in and churn. And I, I kind of like that increasingly it seems that Compete is playing a large role in kind of giving that perspective. I, I wanna I wanna pivot at the end here a little bit. We've talked about some of the um, pieces around building great content, building a strong relationship with with sellers, keeping it up to date. How do you measure success then 
from a content perspective, but also your program as a whole? What what are you reporting on to to your leadership team? Yeah, so I think like this is one of the hardest things about building a competitive team. And I think like on this the surface, everyone's just like, okay, well you just measure win rate. But there's like so many areas that you don't have control over as a as a competitive intelligence team on um when it comes to win rate. So we have really started to lean in to engagement as a like North Star for our team. And the reason is like a rep can come and use your content. You know, you are really good at like marketing your content and maybe getting a huge engagement push and you get a surge, everyone comes and checks out your content, you see a peak in engagement. But you're not going to get consistent engagement if your content isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Like not if it's helping people close deals faster or win deals or um, retain customers or help like inform product features for product, for example. Like people aren't going to come back and keep using your content unless it's good. And so I think engagement, especially like sustained engagement, looking at like a rolling engagement over time is a really great metric. And what our team is focusing really hard on right now, um, we're also focusing on like buyer enablement engagement too on that front. And then we're using win rate as like a directional KPI. So it's more like is win rate going up? Is win rate going down? Is how much is it going up and down? And then also um, we like to measure influence as well. So like how many strategic conversations are we involved in? How many product features are we informing um, with our research and our partnership with like the product team? So um, I would say those three, uh, but we're, we were focusing more on win rate in the past, but I think more and more teams are focusing on engagement when it comes to competitive KPIs now. That's interesting. It sounds to me the engagement side is is more of a leading indicator. I think yeah. even if I put this into some of our like marketing teams uh, world at Clue or some of the things my own priorities in content is if you look at some of those bigger picture objectives, like the compete team at HubSpot exists for many reasons, but one of the things is to help sellers win more. So you look at win rate, but like you mentioned, there's a if you just look there and then build your plan, it's almost it can be overwhelming because there's so many inputs. What do I have to do? Whereas if you focus on those leading indicators that you have a strong belief and will start to report on in terms of this will impact win rates in the future. But these are the kind of short to midterm um, focus points that will lead to that kind of bigger picture as well. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think like not getting too tied into like looking at win rate like month to month or even quarter to quarter because you're going to just see you're going to see some changes that don't have to do with your content. But then like looking at your, you know, over time, like how are you influencing that win rate and then layering that on top of the engagement metric and seeing like, all right, are we seeing a correlation here? Like are the people that are engaging with our content more like are they winning more deals for example like i think that's um really key rather than maybe the metrics or assessing the performance and success of the compete program 
Do you think it's important in terms of providing executives sort of that lay of the land of kind of competitive win rates, like number of deals competitors are showing up in? And it's not a reflection of what Compete is doing, but it's providing sort of this landscape picture of this is what the market looks like right now, especially from like a revenue perspective. Yes, definitely. Um, We have recently partnered with our strategy team and we are starting to do a readout every quarter for our executive leadership team with just like on competitive data and saying, here are the trends, here's um, what's going on competitively. And then focusing maybe a little bit of a deep dive on certain areas um, of interest or competitors of interest. I think that's really, really important to have that high level picture and not necessarily like how do we measure our compete program but just like how's the business doing how are our competitors doing like what's going on in the landscape in the market and more importantly than just like telling them how we're doing like what do we recommend that hubspot does based on this information like that next step of like what action should we take that's the key I love that. And I think it's, again, it's competitive win rates and win rates are critically important for leadership to know, but maybe it's not fully dependent on your compete program, but you still need to bring that to the table to advise. This yeah. is a trend we're seeing. Because if that is out of whack or they're not even looking at that, it's 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 guesswork. It's guesswork. And I think increasingly seeing, bringing those metrics to the table and partnering with the strategy team is actually very interesting on that too. Bringing those metrics to the table is what gets you in the door as well. Like having that kind of data that they don't have otherwise, they don't have a view into this otherwise, you have something of value for the business there. Yeah. And I think like selfishly, I think competitive teams that are not doing that, I recommend it because it does reduce something that every competitive team sees, which is like freaked out emails and Slack messages from like, executives being like what's going on with this competitor that's like hot in the market right now and you don't you don't get those kind of messages anymore because you're Mm. constantly keeping them informed so instead of like being reactive you're proactive and i think that just like makes everyone's lives easier (laughs) on the competitive side even the work you're doing there too it informed what you mentioned earlier in terms of prioritizing what content you're creating and on what competitors like it's twofold up one is prioritizing the work you do, and then you're also laddering that up to what executives need to know in terms of how many active deals have X competitors in. Like, it's working both ways there, I think. It gives you, like you mentioned, a proactive, a more confident structure to work within, and we're not playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. Because that's, you, that's you, the bad bit. You don't want your executives to be up at night worrying about the wrong thing, too. Like, I mean, mm. obviously, you don't want them to be up at night worrying about anything, but You don't want them to like be up at night worrying about a competitor that like you're if someone asked the compete team about or like the uh, competitive team about it, you'd be like, they are not a threat. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you want their their brains to be focused on the important threats. Um, So I think just like make cutting out that noise for them so they can focus on what's important is really key. Jessica, this was awesome. I appreciate you're taking a time here. And also, listeners, I'm not sure exactly when this one's going to be released, but Jessica will be at Compete Week with us as yes. well. So if you want to learn more about what she's doing to build the best content in the world for reps, 
Join our Compete Week and she'll give you another deep dive too. Uh, Jessica, where can people connect with you, reach out with you, tell you how much they loved your episode? I am on LinkedIn. So uh, my LinkedIn is jessica.davis2. So if you looked at me or look at me on LinkedIn, uh, you can check me out. Um, I'm not super active on other social media. <laughs> That's the best place. Not on TikTok yet? Uh, I'm on threads, but it's like more personal, like not <laughs> professional. You're on threads. One of the few still on threads. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. Big fan of <laughs> <laughs> threads. Um, no, Our, that's it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. This was an awesome conversation. I feel like we only just scratched the surface. Um, but we'll see you at Compete Week and we'll catch everyone next week. Hi everyone, I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue and host of the Winning as Women podcast on the Compete Network. On my show, we're giving a voice to female sales leaders, coaches, and enablement experts. We're spotlighting their perspectives and wisdom, their experience and their heart, their vulnerability and their power so that our wider revenue community can feel their impact like their organizations already do. So join me July 7th for the season two premiere of Winning as Women on the Compete Network.